He won Journalist of the Year from the American Conservative Union at CPAC 2015. You like me right now. You like me. He's National Review Online's Jim Garrett. How do you like me now? She's a front-page contributor to Red State and a broadcast professional who calls life the way she sees it. Yeah! Crank up the radio! Very interesting! She's Mickey White. How do you like me now? This is the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by Price Waterhouse Coopers. You have a choice when it comes to the big four auditors, <laughs> and we're proud to be the most prestigious accounting firm in the world for seven consecutive years. Our reputation is sterling, so when you need anything tabulated, remember you can always turn to Price Waterhouse Coopers. And what we'll do is give you the numbers you need in one particular envelope. When we put it in the envelope, then it's up to you to pick up <laughs> the correct envelope. We can't help you if you pick up the wrong envelope. You're supposed to be a detective, Dick Tracy, so pay attention. <laughs> this isn't our fault, all right? We just run the numbers. I swear, people, this is not that complicated. Price Waterhouse Coopers, it's not our freaking fault. <laughs> I am Jim nice. Garrett, joined by Mickey White and Dave Perkins, and welcome to the early March edition of the Jim and Mickey Show. Mickey, how are you after our post-CPAC, post-Oscars world? I will tell you, it has been a whirlwind of a week. Uh, hi, listeners. Glad to be back. I apologize. I'm a little raspy uh, again this week. Yeah, translation for fans, even more sexy than usual. A little CPAC plague catching on. Um, but hopefully it'll, it'll move out by the weekend. Um, it was a crazy couple of days. Jim and I had the opportunity, as you know, to hang out with each other last week during CPAC. And we always try to take advantage of that time um, and, and do the best that we can with it. So obviously we spent a lot of time talking, um, drinking, and, and generally, you know, really building up the show. Yes, it's cons- consuming plenty of alcohol uh, <laughs> conference is the actual name of it. People just CPA. thought it was conservative political activism. <laughs> no, uh, we want to thank all the fine folks. Michael Loftus was oh, sorry. Michael Loftus was kind enough to have us on his program to talk a bit about what we do. And we were uh, also on with Andrew Langer, which was fantastic. Right. So you can check that out on Flipside and on the Langer Cast. Uh, we made some other kind of stop bys. One of the cool moments of the week, I've got to tell you, Jim, you were actually finishing up your Ricochet interview, and we were getting ready to go down to your panel, um, where Jim was a speaker on the panel <laughs> and, and had to answer a really difficult question. Did the elites in the press get it wrong? <laughs> yeah, that was a tough one. But anyway, long story short, Jim is standing there, is on media row. I'm standing there waiting for him kind of behind the the red, not so much velvet, but more Velcro tape, if there is, behind that. And one of the, one of Jim's fans came up and approached us and he said that, you know, he was a big fan of Jim. He asked me if I was familiar with Jim's work. <laughs> um, and he told me that he was getting ready to go to the panel as well. And as I began to speak, I said, yes, I'm familiar with Jim. He turned and he said, Mickey! <laughs> and I had my first CPAC moment. I was like, yeah. And he said, I know that voice. Yeah, I knew that would get him. <laughs> yes, and it was the voice. And he's like, I listen to you guys every week. I love the show. That's and great. it was so exciting. So thank you, Bob, for mentioning that. Thanks for coming out and seeing us. And thanks for sitting through the panel as well. I just now... Uh, Turn my microphone on. I've been choking here. I spewed Diet Coke out of my nose as soon as Jim said, brought to you by Price Waterhouse Coopers. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I was going to say, uh, uh, the other big event of the week coming sh- right as uh, CPAC was wrapping up, um, Mickey, you and I did not do much of an Oscar preview show. I was not feeling particularly uh, 
fired up about it. We tweeted a little about it, and then I went to bed at what struck me as a reasonable hour, roughly, roughly 11 o'clock Eastern. You missed the best part. Well, so what was that, like 1 a.m. or something? It's making the, the, you know, it's making the NBA finals look like early morning programming. Oh, it was – okay. First of all, the Oscars was ridiculously long. And, yes, I came home from CPAC and the whirlwind of CPAC and turned right around into Oscar kind of social media coverage, if you will. Uh, red carpet, which I love. Um, and I know there's a lot of people who complain about the Oscars. I enjoy it. I like the pomp and circumstance. Listeners of the show are familiar with that. And I once again, you know, settled in for the night to watch it. And it was long. And for the most part, I will say this. There was very limited political talk outside of what Jimmy Kimmel said. And all of that got forgotten. Every word of it got forgotten. In the very final award, when, of course, you know, everyone knows now that they announced the wrong winner. But watching that happen live, Jim, that was a moment I won't soon forget. I cursed on Twitter. (laughs) Um, It it was a moment that I, well, ultimately, I ended up rewinding it and watching it several more times before I went to bed. (laughs) Because there was just so much to it. From the fact that, obviously, they, they... you could tell that Warren Beatty, I thought he was kind of hamming it up, but no, he was actually legitimately confused and looking for the other yeah. the other the envelope. So from his response to Faye Dunaway, who ultimately that was probably one of the more interesting things is, you know, we've had a lot of confusion about the press and them going to print too quickly and whatnot. Immediately after the screw up, people were blaming Warren Beatty. He's yeah, not he, the I, one who said it. Yeah. Faye Dunaway is the one who announced the wrong winner. And he kind of, you know, was trying to figure out what was going on, but you could tell neither of them. Um, I don't, she had no idea that she, you know, even read yeah. the wrong card, but you could tell that he was concerned about what had happened. But then as the people from La La Land are up and giving their speeches. Yes. <laughs> and you can see the change happening in the crowd behind them and producers and, you know, and associate producers running around in the background, like trying to figure things out. And the guy's giving a speech and says, oh, and, you know, we didn't win anyway, so. <laughs> and we, we've like, all, what is happening? We've all kind of wondered, like, when you're the person announcing the winner, what if you don't like the winner <laughs> and you decide to change it right then and there, right? I mean, like, I'm sure there's been some award presenter who's attempted to do that. And the winner is, screw this, my close personal friend so-and-so is the winner. Yeah, you know. <laughs> What are they going to do after you've done that moment, right? Well, now we know. Now, now we know, we know that they, you'll get to be that winner for several minutes. And you'll get to have that magic moment. You'll get to thank your mom. You get to you know, do all your things. And then you, you interrupt. It's like the, the record skipping sound. Right. Oh, actually. Most relieved person on the planet, Steve Harvey. That's well, right. He'll be I, forgotten now. I was so now. amused with the social media reaction to it. And as I said, I couldn't stop watching it. I watched it repeatedly. I watched it way too many times. I watched it again the next morning. And Kimmel tried to blame Steve Harvey as a joke to sort of take the pressure off. It's like, leave the man alone. You've been flogging him for months. Yeah. Leave him alone. That's cruelty. That's unnecessary cruelty. Steve Harvey is going to go down in history as the guy who was redeemed by Warren Beatty, Faye Dunaway, and PWC. And by the way, as an old radio guy, you guys, I do blame Warren Beatty. Yes, because I've 
gone out on stage under lights and microphones and 15 and 20,000 people in audiences all throughout my career in radio. And every time it was my job to say or do something in particular, I always double check the material right before I take that first step because I don't want to do it wrong and have to explain myself in front of 15 or 20,000 annoyed people. And And it said on the envelope, it said best actress in a leading role in big gold print right there. All Beatty had to do is glance at it to make sure he had the right thing, but no. And by the time he figured out it was wrong, he was totally clueless as to what to do. If it was me and I opened it, I'd have said, ladies and gentlemen, hang on a second. I want to make absolutely sure. And a lot of people, I think, thought yeah. that would have been the right response. Yes, that it would particular have. particular moment saying, like, wait a minute. We need to check this out. Beatty is um, a little addled at his age, and also he looked pretty drunk to me. Well, I, I have no idea if he was drinking. What I will say is I can't imagine the confusion of being in his position where you think ultimately that they are in fact handing you the right envelope. You have all the assumptions going in that you're getting the correct information. You're in your moment. You go to open the envelope. You have basically one to two words you have to read. (laughs) And you know it's not the right information. And it's weird because he he seemingly froze a little bit. So you're ready for something fascinating? So the Emma Stone won uh, Best Actress for La La Land, and that's what, you know. And, and Faye Dunaway saw that on the envelope and said, you know, that's why she said it out loud. If anybody else had won Best Actress, Isabel Huppert was an L, Ruth Negga was in Loving, Natalie Portman was in Jackie, Meryl Streep was in Florence Foster Jenkins. If in none of those films, I'm just double checking here, none of them were nominated for Correct. Best Actress. So if any one of them had won, they said, oh, the, the winner is Jackie. Everyone would have instantly known, wait, something's terribly wrong. Yes, right. even nominated, wrong. right? But because of the coincidence of Stone winning and, and you know, Faye Dunaway seeing La La Land, um, it was, you know, and of course, the other one, of course, is that everyone expected La La Land to have the big mm. night and all that stuff. And did you notice it was also? a great comeback. I got to tell you, even though there was technically no actual comeback, they had won <laughs> oh, the entire time. It felt different after they were announced. Like, yeah, stick it to La La Land. Did you notice that? People uh, from La La Land were super nice, handled it really, really well under the circumstances. Um, But again, you couldn't stop watching. You couldn't stop feeling it. My favorite response, although there were millions on social media that were worth seeing and watching, um, it was probably the social media story of the week, really, um, outside of the presidential address, which is saying quite a bit. Um, I think was the response from the Miss Universe pageant. And they tweeted out almost immediately, don't worry, we know how to handle this. Give us a call. <laughs> Somebody said Steve Harvey is already going to be the host of the Oscars next year. That would be fantastic. <laughs> but let me tell I, I you something. And, and like I said, overall, I felt like Jimmy Kimmel did a fine job. I felt like early on he, he kind of used some really tired Trump jokes. Oh. I don't mind jokes about Republicans or Trump, certainly, in general. Um, I, I just wish that they were not the things that we'd already read on Twitter 700 times. Guys, Emma Stone said repeatedly in public, I had my card in my hand. It's like she was trying. She didn't know there were double cards, one for each side of the stage. And she was trying to take away Beatty's excuse. It's like she was trying to to pull Beatty's rug out from under him and leave him dangling on in public. What do you mean you had the card for Best Actress? I had that in my hand. I thought Emma Stone was really up to something there. (laughs) 
she said scenario sincerely i'm gonna put my card back oh in the god pile. um I, I here's here's what i would say i think that everyone was trying to figure out what happened i did see the interview with her immediately after and she did have her copy of the card um not understanding as you mentioned that there's two copies one for each stage right and stage left and i i thought it was interesting how everybody just kind of immediately dismiss Faye Dunaway's role in all of this. <laughs> because let's face it, she's the one who actually said it out loud. And she was so dismissive to Warren Beatty in her announcement of it that that moment itself was priceless to me when I rewatched it a million times. They hate each other. You can tell. Beatty might have done that to her on purpose after all. He might have just shut up and held, held it out and hoped she did it. The look on her face when she, when she takes the card from him and is kind of like, oh, what are you doing, Warren? And says, La La Land is priceless in retrospect. That's all. Warren, look out for that boss. Yes. <laughs> then she quickly disappears. She's like a magician. Yeah. She was gone. Threw down the smoke grenade and vanished like a witch. <laughs> <laughs> literally stuck there holding the card. Um, yeah, so I, I excuse me. If you, we, we've talked in the past about you know uh, Hollywood stars lecturing us and the idea of how much politics gets into it. If you feel like these stars are a little bit insufferable, what they're lecturing, the idea of the biggest moment of their calendar year, the most suspenseful and dramatic and important moment, getting completely screwed up. There's something kind of deeply satisfying about oh, it that. Is, like, look, I, you're glamorous people. You're wonderful people. You you entertain us. You're wonderful actors. But um, you're as human as the rest of us. Well, I wanted to light up a Cohiba, and I didn't. Don't even smoke cigars. <laughs> the only thing I conclude, Mickey and Dave, is that considering how the past year has seen, the Cubs win the World Series, Brexit, Trump win the presidency, the Patriots come back from twenty-eight to three. And mm-hmm. both a, a giant, you know, epic screw up at the uh, uh, Miss Universe pageant and the Oscars. We are living in some alternate timeline. There is an <laughs> alternate dimension where everything turned out normal. Everything turned out the way it was supposed to. And clearly we're in one where, you know, whether you attribute it to the divine or the fickle finger of fate or however you want to describe it, something is messing with, me- something is messing with us. <laughs> there's an alternate timeline in which I said that correctly. This, somewhere there's a normal world that we're not in anymore, and it makes for everything to be a lot more entertaining. The other outlook is that it's been abnormal for a long time, and now it's suddenly normalizing. <laughs> abnormal is the new normal. Abnormal is the new normal. Well, certainly one of the things that is added to the abnormality of our new normality is reality TV. And there's a lot going on. So we're going to do some reality TV, reality TV roundup in the next segment. I'm going to talk to these boys uh, during the break about the alternate reality and see if we need to, you know, check on their levels. Paging Mr. Herman. Mr. Herman, you have a telephone call at the front desk. <laughs> hey, here's a great place to visit if you must do some driving. Your independent Texaco retailer. Ask how he can help you get better mileage with quality Texaco products and by practicing good maintenance. He also has fine Texaco gasolines, including lead-free Texaco, all with protective and detergent additives. So let your independent Texaco retailer help you get the most out of every gallon of gasoline you use. At Texaco, we're working to keep your trust. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Mickey White along with Jim Garrity and Dave Perkins. And we are getting into 
the new reality TV roundup, if you will, um, because we're kind of coming to the end of The Bachelor, which I'm going to get to in a second. But there are some other new shows that are returning. It seems like they're on a constant loop these days. Uh, And what we're getting now is the new season of Dancing with the Stars is scheduled to start. And the new season of Survivor is getting ready to start. Now, Dancing with the Stars, we've talked about this show a little bit in the past because it's not something that I watch a great deal of. And I think you're not really a fan of it either. But it is something that continues to go on, even though the level of star quality seems to drop off each season. And as we were getting the new names out this week for who was going to be participating in Dancing with the Stars, a couple of them stuck out to me and not necessarily for all the best reasons. Oh, really? Okay. So who jumped out to you? I, I want to point out, I believe we now have an established precedent, uh, Mickey, that if uh, they've had all kinds of a variety of, of you know figures from different walks of life, professional athletes, uh, people from the music world, and now I believe we established the precedent that if you are the third, sorry, the second person eliminated, you end up becoming the next Secretary of Energy. <laughs> uh, Rick Perry has established that path. Yes, he's got other things in his background, but I believe this is it. So it's kind of fascinating. You get to see who who's going to end up in high level positions of government uh, based on how they perform and how they dance. This will be Trump's new thing after he's done with office. He will instead of having them do the Apprentice style. Um, interviews to be ultimately fired by him. He will make them dance, and he shall call it Dance Monkeys Dance. <laughs> I think he's been doing that for about 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, in looking at the list, um, one of the first names that popped out at me was Mr. T. Don't be babbling like a fool. Say what you got to say. That's all. Then shut your dang pie hole. And the reason he popped out, obviously, I'm always happy to see Mr. T on my TV, but how old is he now? I just have to wonder, like, is he healthy and fit enough for Dancing with the Stars? And will he be wearing jewelry? How will uh, that play into all of the moves, etc.? The producer Mickey, does Mickey. his job with Google, and Mr. T is 64 years old. Shut your dang pothole! 64. Mickey, Mickey, Mickey. Both T and I concur. Fools will be pitied. I pity the fool. I pity the fool. I pity the fool! <laughs> There's no time for your jibber-jabber. <laughs> All the other uh, Mr. T-isms that there are. Look, I, you know, in, in a way, like just Dancing with the Stars is sort of like the forgotten celebrity old-timers day uh, for baseball. They kind of bring them out from old-time. I was kind of impressed. Um, Charo is coming back. Charo, like, uh, Charo was like really wasn't big. Wasn't she on before? No, but she was like on for like. She, she was she was a really big hot tamale, so to speak, two Tonight Show hosts ago. In the right. 60s, she used to be on Laugh-In. Good grief, that's going back a ways. Yeah. My name is Charo, and I'm here to say I brought the Gucci Gucci. Yeah. So I think mean, she used to show up on um, Fantasy Island, too. There you go. So, I mean, you want to talk about, you know, Mr. T is spry compared to some of these competitors. Valid. Uh, Valid. Well, I saw that Simone Biles is on there, which I still think is a slight, like, unfair advantage because she's a gymnast, which is, like, just like a hair off of being a dancer. Yeah, Sean Johnson won. Simone Biles will win. Everybody knows that's how it works. Well, which is Wait a second. So, the one that I like is Nancy Kerrigan, uh, well-known for the 1994 Lillehammer Winter Olympics. Here's what I find fascinating. If she gets all the way to the end and she's competing for the championship, will Tanya Harding and Jeff Galuli come out and whack her in the knee again? <laughs> Meanwhile, the minute I saw that, all I thought was if they had Tanya Harding on there too, this would be much more interesting. 
thing. Oh my God, can you imagine that? Because <laughs> I know Tanya Harding has done several reality shows. So, uh, oh, this would be the perfect one. Much better than the boxing one she did. Yeah, so uh, I, would, I would certainly, that would intrigue me. Um, it's sort of like just a, a, a walk down uh, memory lane for celebrities you may have forgotten. You're like, oh, they're, oh, they're still alive. Well, that's very nice to see. So. Well, and, and one of the ones that stuck out to me, because as you guys know, I've been watching The Bachelor, even though I haven't bored you all with a great deal of Bachelor <laughs> details. Um, I have invested in it. My girl Corinne was sent home this week. It made me very, very unhappy. She is the star of this season, and she made the show watchable. And now that she's gone, I'm all torn up. And suddenly, ABC has announced that the new Bachelorette is coming out as part of the new spring lineup. And it's one of the girls from the show who's still on it, Rachel. So I guess, we know, I guess we know she doesn't end up with him, huh? She doesn't end up with him, right? But guess who shows up on Dancing with the Stars? Nick, the Bachelor. <laughs> so now I'm wondering if he totally punks out and doesn't pick anyone. Mm. Now, if they keep given- in mind, I've told you guys before, this is actually his fourth go-round at this. He was kicked off. He was the first runner-up in two seasons of The Bachelorette. Then he was on Bachelor in Paradise. Then he got his own show. Now he's showing up on Dancing with the Stars. And I'm just saying, it makes me very suspect of Nick. He'll be giving Simone Biles a rose before you know it. Exactly. Could could the title of the show be Terminal Bachelor? (laughs) Like, like watch, you know... Everlasting Bachelor. Yeah. An endless succession of perfectly likable, nice, beautiful young women who anybody would be happy to get all fail because this guy's, you know, too fussy and or gay. Uh, The thing is, he is, I I believe he's actually just at heart a serious player. Like, he likes women. He likes them (laughs) a lot. He likes all women. Like, this is a man who, upon the very first episode, was making out with everyone who came in his sphere of influence. (laughs) Maybe we should just rename the show... You just can't change him, ladies. He grabs a girl and drags her around the corner and starts making out with her. And it's like, would you leave me alone? I'm the key grip. Yes, yeah, so that made me very suspicious of Nick. And again, now that I've you know kind of seen him played through this entire season and he's made all kinds of crazy decisions of kicking people out over dinner, not even waiting to the rose ceremony. <laughs> So, you know, I, again, he, he's kind of got my, my senses up after multiple times on the show and now showing up on Dancing with the Stars. I'm starting to get the impression, Jim, that Nick may not be in it for all the right reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing gets past you, Mickey. <laughs> but in, in some strange way, it would be kind of neat if the producers came out and said, ladies, there are some men who are simply not marrying material. And there are some men who are destined to be this. And we've done this entire season to show you, no, you can't change him. <laughs> no, his character, you know, you're not going to be the one who transforms his character. He's not going to, you know, settle down and be ready for marriage. It, you know, the, he is who he is. Stop trying and find somebody better than this. It'd be kind of an interesting, you know, a good twist ending. I think. If he oh, ever I'm looking does... forward to the reunion show, which is coming up this week, the, the Ladies Tell All. Because I do have a feeling that the underlying tone of this entire Bachelor has been, let this be a lesson to you. If he ever does get married, he could star in a new show called The Serial Adulterer. (laughs) 
Uh, oh, I, I honestly, like, I will be shocked if this guy gets married. I will be absolutely stunned, shocked, and I will somehow pity the child who ends up engaged to him for the six months leading up to the non-actual wedding. I pity the fool. I pity the fool. I pity the fool. Do they, um, do they go back and check on, like, past couples? Have any of them actually, are they are they still married? Are they still attached? Oh, yeah. I mean, okay. there are a few that have lasted. Trista and Ryan. Trista and Ryan are the famous ones, yeah. Yeah, they are famously still together. But there are other couples that are still together. One of the ways that they manage to stay together is that they keep their relationship out of the spotlight. Um, those that have gone on to do additional programming, I mean, some of them actually get follow-up reality shows. And that rarely works out well. Kind of, you know, following through them, their actual dating period, the getting ready, et cetera, and then they fall apart kind of thing. I, I was going to say, I, uh, I, I am intrigued by the, There is kind of fascinating that they, they reach new levels of this. I, I think at some point the, they should have the, the competition on Dancing with the Stars is that if you win it, you get to be the next Bachelor or Bachelorette. <laughs> I love it. Right, like at some point, like you begin, you connect all the reality shows, and then if you, do I would that, like to put a lot of these people on Survivor. There you go. There right? you go. Your the next will be on Survivor. There I love go. Survivor, and this year they're bringing back some, you know, some of the they're calling it game changers. So some of the bigger players that uh, did not win but made big plays within the game are coming back to do another round. And I have to tell you, I'm you guys know I'm a huge fan of Survivor. I love to watch them suffer. I like to watch them starve. Um, I like to see the actual human struggle for both human connection and survival of of a very much more basic instinct. Um, and that I could never do this. I know this up front. One, because I would be absolutely freaked out by all the bugs and bites. I would be covered and, and I couldn't do it. Um, however... I love the idea of being able to take people from, say, The Bachelor or Dancing with the Stars and instead throwing them onto Survivor. <laughs> you think you signed on for this one, but actually, yeah. Yes! Imagine, like, if you think you're on, like, House Hunters International or something. And I would love it if they came to the very first part, like, before they dropped them off the ship on the island, dressed for the other show. Yes, and then surprise. The girl yep. would be in a gown, coming out for the bachelor meet and greet. You know, you'd have people geared up for, like, the amazing race. You have people straight up, you know, in their dancing flamenco outfits, ready for Dancing with the Stars. Oh. And instead, you're being dropped out of a elevator. And push. Or you're being put on American Ninja Warrior, um, which apparently has become suddenly a huge hit with the Garrity Boys. Um, they have decided that this is the coolest show ever. And so now almost every evening we sit down and there's a, you know, a bazillion episodes on our on-demand one. And they now want to like build like the impossible climbing wall and every you know giant um, uh, death-defying obstacle course they build. Congratulations. On. They're boys. They are. No, I have no further problem with that, although once they start leaping off things. Uh, I get a little bit concerned. Uh, no broken bones yet or something. I'm kind of surprised it's taken them this long to start leaping off things. I no, just thought that was something that boys naturally did. Like, your job is basically to tell them, like, stop, don't swing on that, don't jump off that now. It had subsided for a while, and now now we're back into it. And now, you know, we, we uh, my uh, younger son had a birthday recently, and we, we held it at the... Uh, uh, the local gym that I, I'm a member of. And I said, look, can you do anything for obstacle courses for kids? And they said, sure, sure. We know. So they do things like little scooters and um, cones and, and very, you know, hula hoops, and you got to hop on stuff and pretend the floor is lava. And that's all fun, but, you know, my boys are just expecting to be able to hanging from ropes of, like, 20 feet in the air and stuff like that. They really wanted to have, like... You they know, were just, missing the danger. 
Yes, the the tough mutter obstacle, you know, like like this will kill you, survival course or something like that. And um, sadly, the local Paris Island, you can't rent it out for birthday parties. <laughs> Maybe you'll need to set something up in that big backyard of yours. Just watch out for all the spiders. All right. Um, so we, you know, we, this, we go from reality <laughs> to imagined reality. Although some might say that's exactly what reality shows are. In our next segment, as we return to a rather infamous figure and the, the limits to how much you can reinvent yourself in America today. Keep it right here. It's Spaceman! The moon and sun and all the stars are great big tootsie roll pops. I'm a princess. Yes, my lord, it's a party tonight. We'll have tootsie roll pops. All the kids in the neighborhood say Tootsie Roll Pops are triple good. Triple good. And do you know why? Sure. Because one, there's good tasting hard candy outside. And two, there's a delicious center of Tootsie Roll inside. And three, only Tootsie Roll Pops are said fun to eat. That's why they're triple good. And don't forget, Tootsie Roll Pops come in a party pack, too. Ten pops in assorted flavors. There's a game on the back that's lots of fun to do. All of the kids in the neighborhood say Tootsie Roll Pops are triple good. Triple good. You'll love Tootsie Roll Pops. You jackwagon. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And Mickey... Perhaps one of the most infamous names in American culture in the past, oh, couple of years is back in the news. Uh, if I say Rachel Dolezal, maybe people will recognize her, maybe they won't. But if you say that former NAACP leader from Spokane, Washington, who wasn't really black or African-American, was more... I think what you want to tell our listeners is this is the white girl who pretended to be black for most of her life and everybody bought it. She's not just white. She's blonde haired and blue eyed. She's as white as white. Strawberry blonde. I mean, her original pictures were absolutely insane. When I saw what she had done to herself, I was like, well, I mean, it's a look. There's absolutely nothing wrong with going and getting spray tanned and dyeing your hair black and making it curly. I think the problem lie with the idea that there's an assumption that it's something that you're not there we go and so this is so you know she's now back in the news uh she's on an interview with the Gar- the guardian newspaper which is over in the uk um said that she is currently jobless she is collecting food stamps and she may soon be homeless uh so if you did not like this woman and you wanted to see her suffer consequences for <laughs> misrepresentation uh, I think it's safe to say that that is, uh, that is going on and that is the case. Now, it's worth noting she also has a book deal. Um, the title, I'm not making this up. The title is In Full Color, Finding My Place in a Black and White World. Uh, apparently, it's beige oh my um, is her place. Or maybe taupe. The audacity of taupe, you could call it. Um, oh, God. Jim, right. Mickey, I'm just grateful that uh, in addition to having – a gender crossover person whose last name is Jenner, which makes it possible to say transgender and get laughs. We also have someone crossing from race to race named Rachel. So it's possible also to say trans Rachel. There we go. <laughs> Just it's, enjoying it's, the your puns. Your name is your destiny. <laughs> so I was thinking about like why people just exploded on her. And it's not just the idea, oh, she got the book deal. I went and checked. It's a, it's a decent-sized uh, uh, publisher. I, I don't know. But obviously this is not enough to cause her a great deal of financial security. I don't think she can be accused of. Or if they she's trying to back the advance. Yeah. 
she, you know, if she's cashed in on the uh, the the controversy, she obviously didn't cash that much. So here, here's my uh, emerging theory on this, uh, Mickey. That we we have reached a point where um, it's not merely that she misrepresented herself, right? Or that there was kind of a, an element of absurdity to her, uh, of her insistence that you know she she belonged in the NAACP. Um, she insists, as she says in this interview with the Guardian, that race is a social construct, that it is not biological. I.e., if you feel like you're a member of a group, you're a member of a group. Uh, now, obviously, as we saw in the reaction of many African Americans to Rachel Dolezal, uh-uh, no, you you do not get to just feel your way into it. The term I, I came up with right before the program, Mickey, and I want to throw out is identity plagiarism. Right? Hmm. It's the idea that you know. Look, we we all kind of struggle. You can with who feel are. like you're a dolphin, but that doesn't make you a dolphin. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like you, know, you, you, and here's the: we are a country in which you can reinvent yourself in all kinds of ways, right? Just look at just look at you know. On any given day, Lady Gaga will be completely different than who she was a week ago, right? One day she's wearing meat, the next day she's a country star, right? Mm-hmm. The day she's doing Sound of Music, the next day she's at the, uh, the a little while later she's at the Super Bowl. She transforms her image. Every you know. So style, image, persona, you change, people, Americans change careers she all the time. She said she was black. Right? Okay, so here's and the she used it. Now, like, he- herein lies the problem with all of it. Um, in my personal opinion, this child is obviously mentally unstable. Uh, I feel like all of the people that were giving her all of the attention leading up to it, and then all of those who gave her attention during her downfall, uh, once again, the media could have done a better job of maybe actually figuring out what's wrong with her and getting her some help. Um, there's nothing necessarily wrong with someone liking black culture, wanting to be part of black culture. The problem was she denied her own existence. She denied that she was a white chick from you know Washington or whatever um, from Seattle. She she absolutely denied that. And when you know the proof was put before her, then she then she came up with this idea that you know race was actually something that was fluid. That was a cover story. And I think that's important to keep in mind as well. You know, people look at different comparisons of people that whether it be transgender, this transracial thing is just crazy talk. (laughs) Um, There's, you know, if somebody wants to dress like they're black or dress like they're Asian and they're not, have at. I don't care. Um, I think the important part, though, is not to claim that you are that. And yeah, it is your own, and then try to benefit from it. I mean, again, you mentioned this. This was a woman who was the leader of the NAACP, and and she fooled a lot of people and made a lot of people feel very stupid. And, and never underestimate the pettiness of people who you've made <laughs> feel stupid. Um, but this girl deserved all the scorn and and backlash that she got. However, those people that had lifted her up let her down by not standing by her when they realized what was going on. And they did so because they felt stupid. I'm going to give you an intriguing comparison. I want to bounce it off both of you. All right. Now, I want to preface this by saying this person I'm about to speak, uh, um, uh, I've never met personally, but I know people who have met him and worked with him and rave about him as one of the finest human beings they've ever encountered. This is professional wrestler John Cena. All right, everybody knows him. Everybody knows how he's great he's with kids, terrible. great with veterans' causes, all this yep. kind of stuff. Without looking it up, the fact that I'm raising raising this example, you probably already know the answer. Did John Cena serve in the military? Um, I'd have to say no. Yeah, the answer is no. Right now, from the haircut, from the persona, from his involvement in veterans' issues, from his fan base, many many people 
believe John Cena has served in the military. I but, believe he was in a movie called The Marine. The Marine. Right? This is a guy right. who was, it's been center of his identity. I, I would not, I'm not accusing him of um, stolen honor or anything like that. I don't believe he's ever deliberately misrepresented himself. Right. And that's the key. However, he has never said, I was yeah. in the service. He's never said that. Yeah. Having said that, I think if you polled most of his fans or if you polled a good portion of the world, most people would make that assumption, right? But we don't mind that, right? He's doing this all for a good cause. He's doing this. Clearly, there is a, a community that he is not directly a part of, but he admires a great deal, does his part to help. Everybody pretty much has the attitude of God bless him. That fine line between I admire this community and I am part of this community, right? That's where Rachel Dolezal stepped over it and stepped very deeply in it. And I kind of, you know, you don't want to see anybody suffer too much. But on the other hand, the fact that she has, um, she says she, the only offers she's gotten um, are reality television and pornography. Okay, and I'm going to step in here and say, what is wrong with reality TV? It pays the bills. If she had anything interesting to say and or do, she would do reality TV. I think but she's I afraid th of it because reality TV would reveal her to be completely demented after the first episode, and she knows well, I, that. I, I have no idea how she operates in her day-to-day -day life. I know that um, she obviously has clear identity issues. Um, about who she is and where she came from. I mean, if the number one thing about, you know, identity politics is knowing who you are and who you identify with, she's mm. missing that first step. Yeah, well, she's, this is how she explains it out in an interview. Uh, she says, there's a perspective, there's a mentality, there's a culture, she said. To say that I'm black is to say, this is how I see the world. This is the philosophy, the history. This is what I love and what I honor. Calling myself black feels more accurate than saying I'm white. Rachel, it may feel that way, <laughs> but it is not actually more accurate. Like, and this is where we know the perception, the reality, the feeling, all that stuff crashes right into reality. Right? That this is, you know, that ultimately this is a this your your actual ethnic identity is a matter of genetics. Right now, sometimes your genetics will be a big bully base of lots of different people. We've all <laughs> seen the ancestry.com where you're like, I thought I was Greek. It turns out I'm t Tanzanian. Who figured? Who, who could have guessed that? You know. <laughs> Um, and we kind of – America has always been about you be what you want to be. Reinvent yourself. You create be identity you. For yourself. But <laughs> there are limits to it. And when it, once it gets into that element of inauthenticity, um, I, I, you know, we people – Well, we've run into the same problem in Hollywood when we have people being cast as – you know, we talk about Scarlett Johansson and Ghost in the Shell. That was supposed to go to an Asian person. Um, Tilda Swanson – was cast in Doctor Who, I believe it was. Is that the Correct. one? Correct. Swinton. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was one that caused a lot of... Because, there again, there's a certain amount of legitimacy that comes to each of us through who we are. Um, whether you are a white wasp girl or whether you are, you know, straight from South Africa, there is a certain amount of identity in who we are in our DNA. Um, it doesn't tell us who we're going to be, mm -hmm. but it does tell us where we came from. And to deny that is to deny one's own identity, thus making you like the most hypocritical person to go out and speak on behalf of identity politics that you yes. have. Oh, and, and in this particular case, she, you know, they, they talk about um, taking over a culture and and becoming that culture and then weakening the culture through it. That's what Rachel would do. If given yeah, I, I was going to say, I cannot begrudge any African-American any sentiment of, look, 
you see, may have the best heart and the best of intentions, but I just kind of have this feeling that anybody speaking on behalf of the National Association and the advancement of colored people should be not that color. <laughs> Should be actually a member of the group, and well, I'm sure you know. Like there are wonderful people who want to volunteer and want to help out, but you know, could you or I start talking about someone who went right up against the idea of doing a modern day blackface? She yeah, spray tanned multiple times in order to get darker skin. She dyed her hair. She permed her hair. She told people she was black. I mean. And, of course, she benefited professionally from this. That's not something that we generally don't frown upon, regardless of whether or not it's politically motivated or not. Like my black friend Kevin Jackson says, you can tell a black person in the nursery, look out at the babies and you can pick them out. It's pretty obvious who's black and who isn't. And it's kind of offensive that anybody would want to say I'm black when they're not, because it means they didn't really go through the let's admit it still struggles and difficulties that black we people make, have exactly we make fun of the the politically correct crowd and the the social justice warriors and the snowflakes but this is one case where mickey dave all of us were like you know they kind of got a point <laughs> you cannot just say i decided i'm part of this group thus i'm entitled to speak on their behalf um <laughs> there's just too much historical weight to it well, and um, if you haven't grown up black, you cannot talk about being black. Exactly. Like, talk about you know, not down with the struggle. The reality is I have a lot of black friends. I love the black culture. Um, I can never, under any circumstances, speak to the actual experience of being black, though, because I'm not black. <laughs> I feel like that freeway out there is a sidewalk. I'm just going to stroll down it <laughs> because I feel that it's a sidewalk. <laughs> yeah. At, at some point, you know, we look, we, we try to be a nice society. We try to be a cult, a sensitive society. But in the end, at some point, your feelings slam into reality and you get hit by the bus. So. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm ready. To, I, I, some people are taking leave of their senses, uh, but but Mickey, I just kind of have a feeling there's some other leave that we might that everyone might want to uh, partake of soon. This might be the best paid leave ever. We need to rethink this. Tastes like a beer because it should. Because it's brewed like a beer. Of course it's good. Working out or working late when you're thirsting for a break. Let's be perfectly clear. It's what beer drinkers drink when they're not drinking beer. O'Doul's. the brew from Anheuser-Busch. With the alcohol naturally removed for real beer taste and only 70 calories. Anytime, anywhere. It's what beer drinkers drink when they're not drinking beer. O'Doul's. This week, President Trump gave his first uh, presidential address to the joint session of Congress, where he brought up some very controversial issues to the conservatives in the crowd, one of which was a, a nod to the idea of being more flexible, if you will, on paid leave and family vacations. And, uh, and well, Jim, have we all just thought about this all the wrong way? Yeah, all the, you know, a proposal that might be a lot more popular uh, than we thought. All right, so... Look, we all know Sweden, right? This kind of wacky <laughs> northern European country. Oh, they pay for everything, cradle to grave, you know, social welfare state. They take care of they take care of everything. The taxes are like, you know, 98%. It's great, you know. You give all your money to the government, the government takes care of you. Uh, I guess if you're a Swede it doesn't seem that bad. However, we have to give credit where it's due. I'm quoting the New York Times, and a local official in Sweden has a novel proposal to improve work-life balance. And also lift the local birth rate. Give municipal employees an hour-long paid break each week to go home and have sex. 
Now, they already get 480 yes. days paid parental leave, universal health care, and a common ritual of coffee and pastry known as fika, which is considered sacrosanct. However, Herr <laughs> Eric Muskos, a 42-year-old councilman from the northern town of Overtornia, I bet you, by the way, I'm betting you donut. This is a made-up town. This is an entire hoax, and the New York Times bought it. But anyway, <laughs> wants to give the municipalities 550 employees the right to subsidized sex. In introducing the proposal this week, he told you to give a nudge to the dwindling population, add spice to aging marriages, and improve employee morale. Mickey, I'm going to observe. I, 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 perhaps we have misjudged these family pay and paid leave suggestions. Maybe there's a little bit more of an advantage to the Swedish social welfare system uh, that, that we didn't realize earlier. I have so many questions. First of all, how <laughs> will they know? Like, is it something where you clock in and clock out, like for your hour? And do you get paid as much as you made at your normal job? Or is this something that you can also, like, rack up overtime for? Uh, because I would need to... I mean, we're only talking about an hour here, so I want to know, like, you know, how, how I can best use my time. Maybe every two weeks you take a two-hour session or something. Maybe we would just, you know, if you, you could, you know... Well, what happens if you decide to, say, do it... Take your hour, I mean, <laughs> three yeah. times a week? Or, or or more? Do you get paid more, or is it just for that one hour? Well, at this point, according to this proposal, it's allotted just you know one hour a week, um, which some might say is is you know nowhere near sufficient. Um, also, however, said- I think it's brilliant and it's stepping out of the bounds. One because obviously the idea being that people are motivated by money. It's always nice to see socialists admit that. Well, yes. Uh, and secondarily, I think the idea of telling them, again, I want to know how they track it. Like, do they have to go in? Because this is getting into Brave New World shit here. Um, but I want to know if they have to go in and, like, punch a clock and be like, okay, Jim and Mrs. Campaign Spot are checking in for our hour of sex. <laughs> now. And you both, like, you both get paid, so it's double the income for the hour. There you go. Now, obviously, it's only for your municipal employees. Obviously, if you're working in the private sector, you're probably upset. Although, obviously, you assume then they would start agitating for Great. their own. Great. we need more government employees out there procreating more than paid us sex people. <laughs> I can just see <laughs> each of them. Nothing tells you, by the way, um, how many government employees are probably not needed in every government structure, not just our own. <laughs> it, it is Sweden telling them to take off and have sex with each other. I just want to know, do, the, do the husband and wife leave, you know, 20 kroner on each other's nightstand? Is that how it works? <laughs> well, no, you can't tip because you're working. That's no, not tip. Not it, it's pay. Them. You're getting paid to do this. This is true. <laughs> All right, so I would want to split it. Like, if I were the one who was not the municipal employee, I wouldn't want my cut. <laughs> so, like, uh, I'm going to be the one because I don't know how that works necessarily, but say, like, Mr. Bias worked for the Swedish government and he was going to get paid for his hour of sex, and I, of course, had to participate, <laughs> um, then I would want my cut. What do single people do? <laughs> I, okay, so there you go. Like, already there are objections to this. <laughs> Thomas Vedelstig, a left leading municipal councilman from Overtornia, by the way, you should have known, of course, it's the left who doesn't like this, uh, said, that Mr. <laughs> Muskos, said that when Mr. Muskos made his pitch, his colleagues were so taken aback that they thought they had misheard him. I guess he thought they should all. Everyone should go home and have specs as a spectacle. Can you uh, imagine that meeting? Okay, we're bringing everyone together because we're announcing a, a new platform, and uh, we're going to have once a week now. Um, we're going to ask you all to take one hour off to go home and have sex, 
and we're going to pay you to do it. Well, there had to be people in the room going, I'm sorry, what? Yes, I, that's safe to say. I need a copy of this, in uh, writing. This embarrasses people who do not have sexual partners, do not want to have sex, or had medical conditions that precluded sex. Also, he mentions, he says, the pro- some proponents said the proposal was too stingy. I spoke to a couple of older gentlemen who said, one hour? That's not enough time. <laughs> Remember, for an election, erection lasting more than four hours, contact your doctor. <laughs> Here, I'm thinking if you got a wife who's having an affair with one of your coworkers, does she ask the boss to schedule you for noon and your coworker for one? <laughs> oh, well, and, and my thought being, you know, they talk about us as Americans being overscheduled and not going by spur of the moment. <laughs> They're about to burst out with all of the Cialis and Viagra, Viagra sales in Sweden because it's going to be like Friday afternoon. I've got a three o'clock hour. So, <laughs> also, you figure, would they come up with some other like nickname for it or something some other uh i think mickey just came up with the nickname it's punching in let's face it the counter isn't going to last an hour so i'm wondering if they're going to be allowed to break it up to like 15 minutes a day (laughs) to make way for quickies that's a good point what if what if you're only in the mood for a quickie right it's like honey you don't have to hurry we have a whole hour oh never mind (laughs) (laughs) guess guess we're not getting much paid leave this week um you know actually now that i think about it like when do you start the clock on that foreplay that first look it depends on when you're getting paid and again if there will be available overtime when you pour the drinks that's when you start the clock when you pour the drinks I feel like, uh, again, I have more questions than answers from this, Jim. I'm going to need you to do some follow-up work. <laughs> because fact-finding mission to Sweden, huh? We should do a TJM's fact-finding mission to Sweden just to check this out in person. Maybe you can check it out while he's in Europe next week. You could be an older couple not interested in each other and, you know, use the hour for crocheting or needlepoint or something. You no, still get paid, that's, right? That's what I would see. There has to be some way of verifying because, I, you know. Employee accountability. Fun. We don't want people to Abusing this leave program, <laughs> yeah, and if and if people also, self-abusing this this leave program, <laughs> that leads me to my next question: If the whole idea is to increase birth rate, so the goal is to procreate out of the sex that you're having, um, then is it only limited to those that are within like child rearing age, or those that are in relationships in which to have children? Because again, you know, if you go and have sex with a hooker, does that count? Do you still get paid? Mm, good question. She the, does. Uh, yeah, obviously. Gays, lesbians having that. Now, I'm looking at the map. So, Overturnia really does exist. It is way up there by the Arctic Circle. This, this is, you know, about as far. <laughs> live in this town. All right. So, it, I think they said it was a couple thousand, right? So, it may be during the winters. There's just not that much else to do in Overturnia. Um, and that this is basically a, this, this is going to see, you know, here's the thing. So, it's 550 employees of this town. And like 4,000, 5,000 people in the town? Well, that explains a little I'm bit. I'm sorry, but Overturnia sounds like Swedish for what you say to your wife when you want to change positions. Uh, <laughs> and again, maybe it's just something to you know, keep them busy during the dark winter. <laughs> um, however, if, if a quarter of the town, roughly, right? Is that what we're talking about? How many people did you say were there? We have a neighborhood of like one tenth of the town works for uh, is is employed by the town. That seems like a lot. Maybe it I'm is wrong. a lot. It is a lot. Well, not for a small town necessarily. Um, if that's the only thing there, if that's the if that's kind of the main. I guess I, it's not. But the thing is, the main thing is the government. 
so that, that tells you everything you need to know about socialism. Um, the majority of the employees are paid oh. by the government, and the rest of the town pays for them, and they are now getting paid to have sex. Okay. Now, here's that the other thing. If you're asking why are they so focused upon this. So there's demographic pressures have been worrying across Europe, including Spain, Italy, and Germany. Uh, in Denmark, policymakers are so concerned by the birth rate that their sex education now focuses on procreation instead of contraception. My favorite part one travel company even introduced a, quote, do it for Denmark campaign. <laughs> I love romantic this. Romantic holidays to try to procreate, claiming that the Danes had 46% more sex while on holiday, which is what we in the United States call on vacation. Um, do it for Denmark. Boy, there's a, uh, <laughs> a rallying cry. Honey, I know you, is that headache really that bad? Because remember, <laughs> we got to do it for Denmark. You know? Doing it for Denmark. It's got a nice ring to it. I've got to say, once again, once again, though, I feel that I have been vindicated because once again, Europeans are proving that they're all talk and no action. And we in America do not have this problem. <laughs> It is something that their government has to tell them to go and do. Remember, do it for Denmark. But here's the thing. The government is telling government employees to do it, so they're really breeding bureaucrats. Is that good in the long term? I'm not so sure. (laughs) Well, this is going to be the most perfectly awkward transition to an upcoming segment about Lent ever. (laughs) We asked our listeners what they're giving up for Lent, and we'll be with, with their answers right after this. It certainly is a big bun. It's a very big bun. Big fluffy bun. It's a very big fluffy bun. Where's the beef? Some hamburger places give you a lot less beef on a lot of bun. Where's the beef? At Wendy's, we serve a hamburger we modestly call a single. And Wendy's single has more beef than the Whopper or Big Mac. At Wendy's, you get more beef and less bun. Hey, where's the beef? I don't think there's anybody back there. You want something better. You're Wendy's kind of people. I could have used a little more cowbell. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And it is coming towards the end of winter, the beginning of the spring. And for those of us who uh, are of the Catholic persuasion, it begins Lent, which is where for 40 days you're supposed to try to give something up. Uh, Different theologians will give you different reasonings behind it. But generally, you're supposed to try to be a better person. Uh, some choose some sort of you know, food that's not good for them. Some try to give up uh, bad behavior. A lot of folks seem to be saying they were giving up social media. Mickey- I want to jump in here and just say, yeah. sorry, I want to, sorry to cut you off. I know everyone's surprised. What's, um, what, what's, what's the odds of that happening? Go ahead. I just wanted to point out that I am not Catholic. However, I have at times in my life participated in Lent because it does, you know, it's a set aside 40 days. Everyone's kind of, you know, there's enough people participating throughout the country that if you join in, say, in a eating healthier or giving up a certain thing, um, just as a challenge, if you will, um, I do think that people do that. And uh, so I, I put it out and I will tell you, I was overwhelmed with all of the amazing responses we got from what people gave up for Lent and some of the craziest things that people had given up. So um, my aim, Mickey, is that for the next 40 days, you will not hear me swear. Uh, obviously, you're not supposed to oh, do this, wow. right? Don't take the Lord's name in vain in general, but uh, all in all, that you know, look, I, I, a couple weeks ago. Do you have a list of specific swear words that you're not going to say? or all the, all the garden variety, you know. So, F, like, every, S. the S word is A, like, I need a D, I need to know because I'm going to need a swear jar of some kind. <laughs> My, uh, I'm not participating in this madness. My, my semi-inspiration in this, people, a couple of weeks ago we talked about my attending the, uh, the Koch Network winter meeting and one of the guest speakers was Deion Sanders. 
every bit as charismatic in real life as he seems on the television. He, more than once during the conversation, he said some variation of, I told my mama when I was a sophomore in college, I wasn't going to smoke, I wasn't going to drink, and I wasn't going to cuss. And ever since that day, I haven't smoked, I haven't drank, and I haven't cussed. Well, uh, I don't smoke, Mickey, so I have that going for me. Uh, I'm not giving up drinking. Mm-hmm. Come on, you know, you, you, you look at that world outside your window. <laughs> He's an Irishman. It's time for quitters. It's a bad habit. Obviously, uh, every once in a while, we will let one slip through on this program, but we aim to be FCC viable someday. Um, it's a bad <laughs> habit in general. And look, you know, Deion Sanders is probably one of the most. Um, uh, you know, charismatic, popular, iconic professional athletes. And if he doesn't need to swear to get attention, that would seem to presume that no one needs to swear uh, to get attention. So I'm, I'm going to aim for that. We'll see how it goes. Uh, my only warning to the world is don't test me. All right, just, you, know. <laughs> you do you, Jim. I'm not giving up swearing. Um, so that's out for me. I haven't really given up anything this year, nor do I really plan to. Um, however... I was inspired by one of our listeners and one of my followers that suggested that she's participating in something that's kind of like a 40-day purge, and mm. it's of stuff where she's take it's 40 days, 40 garbage bags that you can then donate to the Salvation Army, to veterans, et cetera, and you can fill them up with either canned goods or things that should probably go in a yard sale that you were planning to do, um, but it's a way of decluttering your house and also giving to those less fortunate. And I actually think I'm going to do that because I need to both declutter and I love the idea of taking that as a reason and a challenge to get it done, kind of a, a version of spring cleaning and having the benefit of knowing that I'm going to be then able to help out a charity. I'm not Catholic, but I'm giving up housework and shaving. How's that? <laughs> nice. Yeah, technically, it's supposed to be something that you uh, that you're uh, th- there's a bad influence in your life, or something you're not supposed to be doing. Uh, looking over our responses, I saw again. I'm not uh, Catholic, so I feel um, I believe it was ex John who said he was giving up Catholicism because he's also <laughs> not Catholic. So Jack in the East uh, said he's giving up wine. He thought about giving up vodka, but Lent is the busy season, and I'll be gifted some to get through. <laughs> um, I thought Amy Curtis had an interesting response. I've, I think I've done enough penance in the past couple of years, so meet on Fridays. Um, I, too, also try to avoid that. Um, you may have noticed McDonald's. I thought that was something they enforced upon you, that you had to give up meat on Fridays. Or There's is that no, option? There are no Catholic meat police who will kick down your door and check your dinner, Mickey. It's kind of <laughs> sure. the honor system. Uh, are you sure? <laughs> and, you know, there's, and there's a lot, obviously the argument, you know, a lot of Catholics have. So it's, it's like lunch on Friday. You eat, you know, you've eaten half a hot dog until you remember it's Lent. <laughs> now, is the bigger sin to finish it? So you're eating meat on Friday, a whole hot dog? Or is the bigger sin to waste food, right? God doesn't want us to do that either. So um, I, I've found myself in that position. So quite- many rules. Yeah. Um, I, I did notice that, you know, we had some people that had given up some things in the past. One of our listeners had given up makeup. Her husband had given up hot showers in order to kind of really feel the burn, so to speak, of, of the season. Um, they said they were young and would not do that again, however. Um, <laughs> and so I thought that was interesting. There were people giving up alcohol. I, I did beg of our followers and our listeners to not give up caffeine without telling the people in their lives. <laughs> um, I felt that was rude. <laughs> yeah. You're and, you know, have, alcohol uh, might be in there, too. Full caffeine withdrawal tends to lead to out-and-out headaches, so be careful with that, folks. You know. And if you're a Danish woman, remember, headache's not going to do you any good. You have a duty to your country. 
Well, I, I can't believe this, but I'm already getting the rap signal from Dave. Uh, <laughs> thanks again to everyone who participated this week in Trivial Tuesday. Dave will be on the road next week. He'll actually be in Europe. So we may get a stand-in producer or we may be on a week hiatus, but do check back for us at soundcloud.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show. You can listen to this episode and all of our previous episodes there as well. We have just recently uh, capped off our 100th download and we're super excited about that. We're going to talk about more about that and some of the other changes coming the way of the Jim and Mickey show when we come back um, in our next episode. You can also find us at iTunes and at Spreaker. Do check us out at facebook.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show. I'm Mickey White. He is Jim Garrity. You've been listening to the one and only Jim and Mickey Show. I pay the fool. I pay the fool. I pay the fool. My name is Charo, and I'm here to say I brought the Gucci Gucci. Yeah. Say what you got to say. That's all. Then shut your day, pal.